Well, um, I too just want to say welcome uh, this morning. As John said, if you're a guest here with us today, I'm so glad that you're here. And uh, yeah, it's just great to be together in this place. My name's Jeff, and and um, it's just a, a privilege for us to gather here today. Uh, before we dive in, I want to tell you just uh, about a few things that have taken place uh, at Brookside in just the last seven days. Um, I want you to be encouraged this morning as we gather in this place. We've got a whole team of people um, that are actually gathering uh, another part of the world over in Africa. And um, what's exciting about this trip is that our um, Brookside team is partnering with um, 10 of our Zambian friends from the capital city of Lusaka, where we have a partner church there. And they're uh, coming together as one united team, which is a beautiful thing. And then they're traveling down to Serenje, um, where the Hope Center is, the orphanage that we help support. And they're going to be doing ministry there all week. And so while they're there, they're going to be training pastors as well. They'll be training 13 different um, pastors. And what's exciting about that is these pastors live in an economic state where they're not able to go get college classes uh, so that they can lead their churches well. And so what we're able to give them is college-level Bible classes. And um, it's incredible. I was just walking down the hall um, a couple weeks ago, and uh, Peggy King was packing up the resources that we're sending with this team. And, and I just walked past her, and I looked back again and I said, man, isn't it cool, Peggy? We get to be a part of helping these pastors have resources that they otherwise would not have. And uh, so it's exciting. There'll also be this team while they're there. They'll also be doing um, an, uh, a camp for 50 orphans um, right there at the Hope Center. And then after that, they'll be going out into the most rural parts of Serenje and doing a camp for about 160 orphans out in that area. So exciting stuff um, going on there. Also wanted to tell you about another team that was sent out this last week. Um, here they are. They went to another city um, and learned about a care center that this other church is already um, operating. And so it was a chance for us to go and say, okay, we want to be inspired. We want to learn because we're about to launch. As you know, we'll begin construction on our care center, our clothing care center for kids uh, this fall. And so it was exciting to hear about that team and the practical things um, that they learned. As I share those things, I hope that you feel like you're an integral part of what's happening here um, because you are. Um, when you support the ministries of this church and when you're engaged and when you're seeking God and when you're praying for your church, um, you are an integral part of what God is doing. And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you for bringing the kind of church that not only here in our city but literally around the world, you are helping us be committed to our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus Christ. And um, it's just exciting to be a part. So thank you for bringing that kind of, uh, of church. Well, what I'd like to do now is just pray and just ask God to lead us in our time as we open up our, our, the text for this morning. So would you pray with me and, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are and Lord, thank you that we um, can gather in this place. Thank you that we can see you working around the world. We pray for our team in Zambia today. We pray that you would do an incredible work through them. Father, we pray for as we think about the different projects and things that you're putting on our heart as we want to live for the city, God, we, we lay those before you and we say, God, would you continue to do a great work, Lord, we rely on you for it. And Lord, now in these next moments, we just pray that you would speak to us. Um, Lord, I thank you that you meet us exactly where we're at. You know each person's name in the room and you care deeply for them. And Lord, you have a word for them today. And so Lord, I pray that we would receive it well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Well, if you're newer to Brookside, um, I want to mention this to you. You might not know about this. Um, we're doing us. We're on a special journey this year, and it's called 365. It's our church-wide effort to read through the Bible in 2016 together. And so I mention that because if you want to jump in, you can always do that. Just go online. Um, you can uh, get our reading plan. You can also uh, get some a link to uh, be able to get just a Twitter a reminder through Twitter each and every day of the readings. Um, so I would encourage you to do that. It's so fun to hear the stories about what people are learning and, and getting out of that. As a bargaining uh, ploy this week, uh, my eight-year-old daughter uh, said to, to us, she said, she said uh, Dad, if, if, if I read the Bible through this year, she said, will you finally get me a dog? And, uh, and so I, I said to her in a moment of compassion, I said, honey, if you memorize it, uh, uh, then let's talk, you know. And so hard-hearted, I know, it's cruel, right? Well, today we're in uh, part three of a four-part series, and uh, it's called Everybody Wins, and we're doing this series in conjunction with about 35 other churches right here in our city, which is an exciting thing to think about this unified effort of churches saying, you know what, we want to be a huge blessing to our city. We want to help people find Christ, and so it's exciting um, to see the unity of churches coming together and for us to be in this series uh, this morning. To introduce our topic to you, I want to lay a question out before you. I want to ask you this morning, if you had a blank slate and you were able to put anything on that and you were able to say, you were asked the question, if you could have anything in the world, what would you ask for? So for instance, if I gave you a blank sheet of paper, completely blank, and I said, hey, you can write anything on this and you'll get it, what would you ask for if you could have anything? Now imagine if later today I went and I asked some random people that question. Um, think of some of the responses that I might get. What comes to your mind first? Um, we might hear things like, um, a person might say, I want world peace. Uh, someone might say, you know what, I've got a broken relationship I'd love to see mended. Someone might say, you know what, I'd like to have cake with no calories. I'd like to have muscle with no gym. You know, I'd like to have a, maybe, a, maybe they've lost a loved one to cancer. They'd say, I want to, I want to have a cure to this disease that took a, a loved one of mine. Maybe someone would say, I've got a, a child that's gone astray. My one wish would be that they would, they would return to me. Um, what would you ask for if you could have anything? I asked a couple of kids this question, and one of them said this. She said, I would love to have a world, world, like earth size." she said, world-sized lollipop. Another little girl said, I want to have a chocolate fountain that I can just, like, play in, you know. And some of you are like, dark chocolate, you know. And, and, but think about that. What would you want if you could have anything? Completely blank slate. What would you say if you could have anything? In our text for today, that's the question that a guy named Solomon gets asked. And what I love about what we're going to see this morning is that the response to the way that he answered that question got two thumbs up from God himself. God said, oh, the way that you've answered that question, Solomon, it's pleasing to me. And so what we're going to do this morning is this. And the application really for how do we apply this, this message to our lives is pretty clear in the text. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through 1 Kings chapter 3. And then what I want us to do is I want us to drive to this point where we, you walk away with one clear question this morning, one guiding question in your mind. So here's the scene. This is what's happening in the biblical story when we, when we kind of jump in today. As you know, in the storyline of the scriptures, when we got to 1 and 2 Samuel, Israel is really in a new era. 
They're in an area called the United Kingdom. And we saw in the book of Judges that God was raising up different leaders to provide leadership to the people. And they would, God would raise them up and there'd be a time of, of faithfulness and then that wouldn't go so well. And then God would raise up somebody else. When we get to First and Second Samuel then, God ushers in this new era where he's going to raise up. He's going to anoint a king, a kings to rule and to lead, to provide leadership for these people. So when we got to First Samuel, we saw that God anointed the first king. King Saul. And in, first Samuel chapter, in the book of 1 Samuel, we saw Samuel rise to power. We watched that, how that unfolded. Then we saw his demise, and then we ultimately saw uh, uh, Saul's tragic death in that book. We get to 2 Samuel then. What do we see? We see the, the rising of David. David gets anointed as king. Now, David was maybe the most unlikely candidate in the, he was the most unlikely candidate in the family of Jesse to be anointed as king. And just through that, we learn that God's not looking for perfect people, but God's looking for people whose hearts are fully submitted to him. Those are the kind of people that, that God wants to use in significant ways. And so we saw David come to, to power, and we saw his reign and what that looked like. And then we saw David rule over Israel for a period of 40 years. This morning, when we get to the book of 1 Kings, particularly right now when we get to chapter 2, what we see is now David is looking to the next generation. David is looking to his son Solomon, who's about to take the mantle of leadership, and in some parting words from a father to a son, King David says this to the future King Saul. He says this in 1 first, uh, first Kings, he says, chapter 2, he says, when the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about to die, he said, so be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Now, isn't it interesting? David doesn't pull any punches there, does he? Be strong, act like a man, follow the decrees of the Lord. Why was David so serious in that moment with Solomon? It's because David knew he's about to take on the leadership of all of Israel. And David cared deeply not only for Solomon, but David cared deeply for the future of Israel, and he wanted them to just boom under the leadership of his son Solomon. So he says specifically this to him, walk in obedience to God, to him, keep his decrees and his commandments, his laws and regulations, as is written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. This is big. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. What David was doing here was huge. David's right before Solomon. He's saying, Solomon, don't forget what, what just happened to us. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David's saying, hey, remember what that promise was from God. God said that through our family line, through our reign, that there would ultimately be what? We get to Matthew chapter 1, and we see this lived out, that Jesus Christ would come right through the lineage of David. It's a beautiful thing. And so David is looking at Solomon, and he's saying, I want you to stick to God, stay close to God, follow his decrees, follow his laws. So imagine that. Imagine giving this mantle of leadership on to the next generation, to Solomon. That takes us to our main text for this morning. And so we're going to look at the life of Solomon. Now here's what you need to know about his life. You read the story of Solomon and you know that there were times when Solomon had great moments and then there are times when he had moments that were not so good. His life ended very poorly. 
But as we look at his life, and we particularly today, 1 Kings chapter 3, we're going to see Solomon's brightest moment. And from those moments, we ask the question this morning, what is the most important thing that I can learn from the life of Solomon? What does that look like? You know, as I was preparing, preparing for this morning, God continually brought to my heart the person in the room, and there are many of you, doesn't matter how young or how old you are, but the people in the room this morning that would say this, I want to make great decisions with my life. You look at your life and you just go, I've, God, you've given me one life, you've, you've entrusted it to me, and I want it to count. I want to run my race so well that one day God says, well done. And you say, I want to make decisions along the way that lead me to that kind of life. God had you on my heart this week. I was praying for you. And, and here's the thing. You're the kind of person that because you want those things, you feel the weight not just to make good decisions, but you feel the weight, you have the desire to make great decisions with your life. I think this text will be really helpful to you. I've been praying that it will be. So here's what happens. First, King, First Kings chapter 3, verse 5. Here's what it says. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the, uh, uh, during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. This is the biggest question ever. The biggest question ever. But notice this. Notice how Solomon responds. He says this in verse 6. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Then he says this, you have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Notice what Solomon's doing here. He doesn't answer this question by saying, well, here's my wish list. You want to know? Blank slate? You want, I can have anything? Here's, my, here's what I would like. Notice what, David, or what Solomon does first. He reflects back and he says, oh, God, you've been so faithful. God, you've been so faithful to my father David. You've been faithful. You've even made this promise uh, to our family line. I mean, this God, and he just recounts, he recognizes, oh, God, you have been faithful to us. He has perspective. Solomon looks at his past experiences before he says anything. We can learn so much now from what happens next. Look at verse 7. It says this, now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a child. Scholars would say that Solomon's about 20 years old. He was born about halfway through David's reign. So though he's 20 years old, the weight of this responsibility makes him feel like a child. But I'm only a little child, and I do not know how to carry out my own duties. You ever felt like that, a little overwhelmed, a little in, in maybe a high challenge season in your life? Verse 8, your servant is here among the people you have chosen, keywords there, a great people, two numbers to count or to number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And then this, this is so important. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Have you ever had one of those moments when you made a big decision, you came to a fork in the road, and it was a hard decision, but as soon as the decision was over, you had a sense of peace. Like, wow, that was hard, but I think it was the right thing. You ever had that happen? 
That's the sense of peace. That, that's what David would have been experiencing that. Because why? Because the Lord was pleased with what Solomon had asked for. Verse 11, then it says this. It says, so God said to him, since you have asked for this and you have not asked for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, he says, I will do what you have asked and I will give you a wise and a discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. When Solomon was given a blank sheet of paper, a blank slate, and the question was, Solomon, you ask for anything you want. Solomon, in that moment, he chose wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 8, a proverb that likely he wrote, it says this, wisdom is more precious than rubies. And then it says this, nothing you desire can compare to wisdom. Nothing. Let me ask you this morning, have you ever felt like you needed wisdom? To which you're probably thinking, yeah, <laughs> you know, hundreds of times, right? Hundreds and hundreds of times. You've come to a fork in the road and, and you've got to make a decision. And, and here's when you need wisdom. There are times when rules help you, like don't steal. Okay, so then when I fill out my taxes, do I need a lot of wisdom? No, I, I just need to do the right things and, and boom, it, it's, it's black or white. But what about this? What about when you come to a fork in the road and the, answering the question, is, are either one of these options wrong? And when the answer to that is no, there's not a wrong option. That's when you need wisdom. Have you ever had that moment when you just feel like, oh, I just need wisdom? Should you date her? Should you marry him? Should you take that job? Should we buy that house? Is this a financially smart move for us? Those are the times when you need wisdom and you feel like, oh, you're desperate before God. God, give me wisdom. You know, there's so many things, honestly, that we can notice from this story but I, first I want to take us to back to actually to verse 9. Because we get this, this nugget of truth that I think is so important for us as we seek to be people of wisdom. Notice how Solomon answered the question. When God said, ask for anything you want, notice that Solomon did not do anything in that moment that was selfish. He didn't, he didn't throw up and just say, yeah, God, give me this, give me that for, for my gain. But notice how he answered the question. It says, so give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people, your people, and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. What Solomon is doing is he's saying this, God, everything you've given me, it's yours. Solomon's living with this perspective. It's the person who says this. It's the person who says, God, you've given me my one and only life. God, would you help me know how to honor you with it? It's a different perspective. Jot this down. Here it is. This, this is a point for you this morning. When honoring God is number one, wisdom will follow. Solomon's thinking in his mind, okay, God, this is all from you. These are your people that you've asked me to leave. This is your great promise to my family. When honoring God is number one, wisdom will follow. Think about this for a second. The soil of the life that is wise is, is rooted in this person that says, I'm living underneath God. I heard a, a person say this week, whatever is your king is where you'll derive your wisdom from. Does that make sense? Whatever is your king, whatever is most important to you is where you'll get your wisdom. 
So for instance, if money is your king, if that's what you're after, and you're faced, you come to a fork in the road, you've got two options. One option is you take a job, it's less money, but it's a good fit for you, good fit for your family. It's, you sense that, wow, God, you kind of designed me for this. Another option, it doesn't pay as well. It might actually cause you to, com- or it does pay a lot better, sorry, and, but it might cause you to compromise in certain areas. When you come to that fork in the road, if money is your king, that's an easy decision. You choose the one that pays more. Whatever is your king, whatever is most important, that's where you will derive your wisdom from. So many things we can learn here from the life of Solomon. What he was saying is this, the source of wisdom. You want to live with this reality that you are under God. So Solomon wrote this in Proverbs chapter 9. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when Solomon, in this context, said the fear of the Lord, what he was meaning was not like be afraid of the Lord, but what he was saying is this, the reverence. When you have a sense of awe of who God is, when you recognize who God is, it puts you in a place that you want to live in submission to God. When you revere someone, you submit to them. When you revere God, when you recognize God is who he is. When you recognize, God, you are the creator of all things, and so I want, Lord, what do you want me to do with this life? You have given me the fear of the Lord, the reverence for the Lord. What does Solomon say? He says, that is the beginning of wisdom. Remember this this morning. Here it is. Wisdom begins with a recognition of who God is. Wisdom begins with a recognition of who God is. It's this idea that when I think about God, it's not lowercase g, it's capital. It's this idea, God, you created all things. And so, Lord, I want to revere you. And know this, when you revere God, when God is king, you will submit to the ways of God. And what Solomon says is this, revering God, it's the beginning, it's the foundation, it's the starting line on the race to living a life that is full of wisdom. Wisdom begins with a recognition of who God is. One guy put it like this. This is helpful to me. He says, true wisdom begins with a proper recognition of who God is coupled with a proper response, surrender. True wisdom begins with a proper recognition of who God is. It's coupled with a proper response, though, and that response is one of surrender. The book of Ecclesiastes, scholars believe that It's likely Solomon wrote that book as well in the scriptures. Now, if you know anything about that book, it's all about what is the meaning of life? Have you ever asked that? It's a great question. And what we see in the book of Ecclesiastes is that there were all these different bunny trails that were taken to find out, well, what is the meaning of life? Where should I put my my trust and my, where should I get my, my satisfaction and my sense of purpose and all of that? You get to the end of the book and Solomon writes this. It's a key statement. It summarizes, it culminates the book. He says, now that I've tried everything else, he says, above all else, he says, fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. And what Solomon was saying is this, most importantly, revere God. Above everything else, if you hold God in the highest place, that is the beginning of wisdom. It's the wisest thing you could possibly do is to hold God in highest regard. Back to the story, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 13 now. This is God's response to, to Solomon. Moreover, Solomon, I'm going to give you what you have not asked for. I'm so pleased with your request. 
both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and you keep my decrees and my commandments as David your father did, I will give you a long life. That's this promise that God gives to Solomon. So Solomon is this guy, he is so wise, he is so discerning. You read about his life, and it's amazing. Solomon became a go-to guy. People traveled from around the world. Why? They wanted to sit at the feet of Solomon. They wanted to see the things that he would build. They wanted to learn from him. He was an architect. He was a poet. He was a philosopher. He was a theologian. The list goes on and on. Solomon was an incredible individual. You ever been around somebody, and you said to them after being around them a while, you said, wow. She is wise beyond her years. Wow, you round this guy and you're a young man, and you're just like, he's, he's got a lot of wisdom. He's wise beyond his years. That was Solomon. But remember, the basis for his wisdom was what? The basis for his wisdom was what do you do first? You revere. What's the foundation for being a, a wise person? You revere God above all things. You recognize who is God. In chapter 4, then, it says this about the life of, of Solomon. It says that God gave Solomon wisdom and, every, and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the, the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 32, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered uh, 1,005. He spoke about plant life and from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon was one of a kind. Yet, in the midst of all of his wisdom, he didn't take his own advice. And you follow through the story of his life, and it's very true that you can be very wise, but wisdom does not equal faithfulness. And what we see when we progress through the, the life of Solomon is that he didn't take his own advice. He said, and he would say to us this morning, revere God above all. But we know that Solomon did not revere God above all continually throughout his life. And he paid dearly for it. It says this in chapter 11. It says, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites, Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Solomon didn't take his own advice. We learn, though, this morning, don't we? We learn from his highest highs but we also learn from his lowest lows. We learn, okay, at his highest highs, he says, revere God, fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. And then we see his downfall. But what did he do? He turned away from God in the midst of his downfall, and he prayed dearly for it. I want to close this morning by giving you two things. I want you to be able just to walk away. I think you'll be able to readily apply these to your life. The first one is this. I would encourage you, the book of Proverbs, it's 31 short chapters in the scriptures. It is chock full of wisdom. 
I would encourage you this morning, make it a regular part of your life to read the book of Proverbs. You'll find in the book of Proverbs, you'll find wisdom on relationships, wisdom on finances, wisdom on parenting, wisdom on all sorts of things. So read that. Devour the book of Proverbs. Put that into your heart. The second thing that I want to do this morning is I want to leave you with a very simple question. I want to leave you with one question that I think will be helpful to you. You know, as a pastor, lots of times you talk to people that are at a fork in the road, and you'll be meeting, and they'll have two options, and neither one of the options are wrong. And so it's a a question of wisdom. What is the wise thing to do? A little over a year ago, I was listening to a leadership podcast by a pastor named Andy Stanley. Many of you are familiar with him. And in that, he, he posed this question that he said has been very helpful to a lot of people that he's worked with. And I'll be honest, I've sat now with this question for over a year. It's been so helpful to me. So I want to share this question with you. And what I love about this question is this. When you come to the fork in the road and the rules aren't helpful to you, right and wrong, but you need wisdom, there are times when a question like this will peel away the emotion of the decision. There are times where a question like this will help you look right past a lot of complexities or how you're maybe trying to talk yourself into a certain outcome of the decision. It'll take that all away. The last thing, though, that I love about this question is this. It's not just a question of right or wrong. It's a question of, hey, when I've got two options, what's the best one? When I've got two good options, what's the best one? So here's the question. Here it is. Is this the wise thing to do? Is this the wise thing to do? When you come up to a fork in the road, ask the question, is this the wise thing to do? This question has the potential to save you a lot of regret. Right in your gut, you might be facing a decision right now. You just ask that question. You got more clarity than you've gotten up to this point. Now, you might feel like, well, that's kind of a simple, it's kind of a simple question, isn't it? You kind of want to maybe want to dismiss it. I want to look at this question through three diff- at three different angles. I think this will be helpful to you. So first of all, is this a wise thing to do in light of my past experiences? So when you think about your past, ask yourself the question, based on who I am, not based on the past experiences of my friends, but based on my past experiences, is this a wise thing to do? If you're a parent, you know how important this is. You parent your children based on your past experiences. You know what you were like when you were 14, so that allows you to parent your children well at that point. Why? It's your past experiences. It gives you wisdom. You might be a person that you take a lot of risk, and so three out of four of the things that you try, they don't work. They fail. And so you know, okay, in light of kind of how I'm wired up, in light of my past experiences, boom, is this a wise thing to do? The second angle is this, in light of of my current circumstances, is this a wise thing to do? With this question, think specifically of the areas of this. Think emotionally and financially. In light of my current circumstances, is this a wise thing to do? Lots of times when you answer this, when you're thinking about your current circumstances, you'll end up saying this, there's nothing wrong with choosing that. There's nothing wrong with that direction, and so it's not a matter of will we someday do that, it's a matter of not yet. Because in light of my current circumstances, current circumstances, mm -mm, it might be wise later, but right now it's a not yet. In light of my current circumstances, is this a wise thing to do? And then the last angle is this. Is this a wise thing to do in light of my future hopes and dreams? 
Now, I think this one is most powerful. Ask yourself the question, is this a wise thing to do in light of my future hopes and dreams? It's looking at the question and saying this. It's looking at your life and saying, based on who I believe God wants me to be, based on the things that God has put on my heart that would be honoring to him, that one day God would look at my life and he would say, well done. Incredible job. In light of my future hopes and dreams, is this helpful? In light of my future hopes and dreams, is this the right decision? It'll bring clarity to that question for you. In light of my future hopes and dreams, should I marry this person? Because if I marry them, it's surely going to impact my future hopes and dreams. Is this the wise thing to do? Should we go this route? Should we do that? Should we lead whatever it is? Based on my future hopes and dreams, the things that I believe that would honor God, is this the wise thing to do? And so based on my past experiences, based on my current circumstances, and then based on my future hopes and dreams, ask that question today. This question has served me for the better part of a year. I would encourage you, is this the wise thing to do? Now you might get to the end of that little exercise and you look at your past experiences, you look at your current circumstances, you look at your future hopes and dreams, and you still don't know. (laughs) Is this a wise thing to do? What do wise people do when they still don't know? Proverbs chapter 13, what does it say? He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Wise people ask other wise people. And I want to leave you with this. I think this is, these are some of the most encouraging words that we get in all of Scripture, particularly on this topic of wisdom. Every time I see these words, I was meeting with the pastor just this week, and he, he prayed these words for me. It was it was. It was It was awesome. It was a gift to me. But every time I see this little passage of Scripture, I'm thankful to Jesus Christ because when Jesus looks at you, when he looks at me, he has your best interests in mind. He wants you to experience life in all of its fullness with him. And so I love this. James chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you ever felt that way? I have. If any of you lacks wisdom, You should ask God, why? Who gives generously to all without finding fault. And here it is. And it will be given to you. That's that's in God's word. When you lack wisdom, go to God. God is not up in heaven saying, I have wisdom. And I'd like to keep it to myself. No. God is saying, I love you. I want you to make wise decisions. None of you want to look at, at, at the end of your life, you don't want to look back over your life and say, I regret this or that, and I regret it because I made unwise decisions. So think about it this morning. You've got a blank slate. You can go before God and you can say, God, I want to write an amazing story with my life. But God, I'm up against a, a decision point. And when you go to God, I mean, these words are true. If you ask God for wisdom, he will give you wisdom. So ask him, Lord, is this the wise thing to do? So let me pray for us. And and I just want to give you a moment as we pray together. Would you go before God and and would you just lay maybe that decision? Whatever whatever you're facing, it could be big, it could be small. And would you say, God, what is the wise thing to do in this? Um, He would love to answer that. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the life of Solomon and the things that we can learn from him. And Father, we thank you that you're the kind of God that you love us enough that you want to give us wisdom. 
You want to lead us, not to make just good decisions, but God, you want us to make great decisions, decisions that would honor you. So Lord, this morning, we just proclaim to you, Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We want to recognize who you are, knowing that it's in that place that the wise live. And so Father, give us the wisdom we need, Lord. And thank you that you are such a good God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.